Well, good morning, church, and blessings to you on this Father's Day. Welcome to worship. I'm so glad that you've joined us this morning. My name is Andy Maddock. I'm lead pastor at Valencia United Methodist Church, and it is a gift to be before you today. I don't want to let it get away from me, so I want to wish the dads in the room a happy Father's Day. And for those who come remembering a father you've lost or celebrating a father who was away today, my prayers surround you and contain you today as well. As I look around this room, I see so many men from whom I am inspired in the role of father. Not because you're perfect fathers, not by any means. Not because you're perfect spouses every time, not by any means but by your endurance and by your faithfulness, by your presence here and your witness to your family for God's love, God's hope, and God's story. That's a part of what we get to do as dads in the family of faith and in the life of the church, to continue to offer our strength, our resiliency, the paths that we've walked, the wisdom that we've learned with one another and with our children and our church's children. So I give thanks for dads today for that pattern and for that practice. We're in a series that's emphasized these familial roles, talking about family matters. We started uh, way back on Mother's Day, um, and uh, now we hear on Father's Day. Next week's our final week uh, in this series before we switch up to come to the table. Uh, but where we've been, just for frame of reference, we talked about how our families shape and define us, how families can celebrate together, how they equip and send us out into the world to live, to work, and to serve, how families can in fact struggle, be it amongst siblings or generationally or just in the church and the family of faith, how families grow and change over time and how that is true of the church as a family as well. And today, church, we talk about the future. Families look to the future. We look ahead we hope and anticipate for what God is going to do with and in us uh, as we look with eyes towards the future. And we're going to talk about Abram in a minute here in light of that. But this is the audience participation part of the sermon. So I'm going to look around and I'm going to ask, what did you want to be when you grew up? Think back to when you were a child. What did you want to be when you grew up? I'm looking for answers. I'll just stand here and look pretty for 20 minutes. I'm looking for answers, some feedback. What did you want to be when you grew up? Yeah. A what? I missed it. A photographer. You wanted to be Perry Mason. An ambitious goal. Yeah. Oh, we'll come back to that one. Yeah. An actress. Oh, I love that. There is still time. We can make that. I know a guy. An archaeologist. New Indiana Jones is coming out. It's 2023, and Batman and Indiana Jones are in the theater. Who knew? Yeah. Other things you wanted to be when you grew up? Doctor. What's that? A teacher? Hmm. Okay. Fine. Live into your dreams. That's good. A fighter pilot. Hang on to that one, because that, that was one of mine as well. Absolutely. Yeah, somebody at the first service said pastor, and I said, there's no way you wanted to be a pastor when you were a kid. I grew up the kid of a pastor, and I didn't want to be a pastor when I grew up. I remember thinking I didn't want to be in my dad's business when I grew up. 
Uh, and it really took God about 15 years and a whole lot of prayer for me to figure out from my childhood into my young adulthood that my work in ministry was not going to be doing my dad's business, but what God had in store for me as a partner in life and in ministry, that I wasn't going to do it. I, I saw that unique kind of fishbowl bubble approach uh, to family discernment and reflection. And, and for all the ways in which I've, I've, you, you may know or may not know my own children, Maddie and Jackson and their journeys and their stories, a big part of that for me is to not make them feel like they are somehow uh, uh, the kind of servants of the church that their parents are. It is something they can model, it is something they can learn, it is something that they can certainly grow into. <clears throat> but we try and, and keep those uh, separate entities. No, when I, when I wanted to grow up, when I, when I, when I grew up, what I wanted to be, uh, at, at first I wanted to be a rock star. Uh, and I feel like I'm living into that a little bit. I play guitar, I get to act on stage, I get to preach to people every week. You know, there's a little smidgen of that that's carried through uh, throughout my history. And then I was fascinated with science fiction. Love, particularly Arthur C. Clarke. Any hard sci-fi, older science fiction guys? I loved space. Uh, and I thought that I wanted to be an astronaut. Absolutely. I longed for that. Uh, in fact, I'll tell you right now, if Elon Musk calls today and says, we need a chaplain for the mission to Mars, I will kiss my wife and I will see you all someday. I am, I am all the way in uh, with my love for Star Wars and my love for science fiction. I've always had this sense that, that the truth is out there, that there is so much more than just this terrestrial terrain that we are a part of here. So I've longed to be an astronaut. I also wanted to be a fighter pilot. Who said fighter pilot over here? Somebody said fighter pilot. Yeah, I wanted to be a fighter pilot. I was even in Civil Air Patrol for a little bit, right up until my freshman year of high school when I grew too big for the F-16 cockpit, and I knew I couldn't fly for the Thunderbirds. I kind of set that one aside, but it feels like somebody who wants to fly, who'd also like to go to space, it all just kind of lines up for me. Absolutely. Yeah, that sense of what do you want to be when you grow up. All right, here's the second audience participation. Today, as we gather together on the 18th of June, 2023, I will ask you today in this moment, what do you want to be when you grow up? <laughs> All right, live your dreams, Sophie Malchus. Be a teacher. Are there things that you still want to do, something you'd long to be, something, an instrument you'd want to learn, something you hope to accomplish, a place that you want to see, visit, go, do, an occupation you wished you'd tried and maybe you still have a chance? What do you want to be when you grow up, church? Retired. Retired. I want to earn just enough to not have to earn anymore. Understood. Understood. For some of us, that's like... That's in outer space, so it might as well be so far away. Absolutely. Other hopes and dreams that are just beyond your fingertips? What do you want to be when you grow up? It's an interesting question. Yeah, absolutely. A world traveler. Absolutely. You all get the hang of that. Absolutely. There are places to see, places to go. Absolutely. We have that sense of looking out into the future and saying, is there something I want to do, something I haven't seen, something I, I live for and long for? And then we strive to get there, or sometimes, like our astronauts and our tall fighter pilots, we let those things go, and we move on to other dreams. But today I want to talk about how families can look to the future, that I think in the same way that we've talked about this idea about shaping and defining, celebrating, caring for, nurturing and equipping, families are, by their very nature, forward-looking enterprises, hopes for, longs for what comes up. Because sometimes in life, when you long for something, it, it involves major change. One of the things that's true of our, our Bible story today is that Abram will go from that name to Abraham. God will give him a name change. And sometimes your titles change. 
October 24, 2002, I went from being a, a son and a kid and a student and a husband to being a dad for the first time. And then February 20th of 20, 2006, when Jackson was born, I was a dad twice over. Sometimes there are major shifts in our identity when we live into the future that God has in store for us. So let's talk about Abram's story. You remember Father Abraham. He had many sons. Many sons had Father Abraham. I am one of them, and so are you, so let's all praise the Lord. And then if you're a camp, you can do right, arm left, arm right, foot left, foot right. You remember the song. Well, Father Abraham does indeed have many sons and daughters, but it didn't start there. It started with looking into the future. So here's Genesis 15 and how that plays out. After this, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Do not be afraid, Abram. I am your shield and your very great reward. But Abram said, Sovereign Lord, what can you give me since I remain childless? And the one who will inherit my state is Eliezer of Damascus. Abram again continued, you've given me no children, so a servant in my household will be my heir. Then the word of the Lord came to him in reply and said, this man will not be your heir, but a son who is your own flesh and blood will be your heir. He took him outside, he looked up at the sky, and he said, count the stars, if indeed you can count them. Astronaut, astronaut, astronaut. Then he said to him, so shall your offspring be. And Abram believed the Lord, and the Lord credited it to Abram as righteousness, as faithfulness, the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Now, Abram's been in the business of faithfully following a call that God has put on his life. I'll help you with some of the biblical scholarship in connecting pieces together. Genesis is a rather long story of God's relationship to God's people. Yes, it starts in a garden and with creation, but it comes round to an idea that God will craft and create a people who will need to be delivered by Moses in the Exodus story. But to get all the way there, you get the story. We call it the patriarch cycle of the fathers of generation that help these people understand who they are and where they've come from. And one of those starts in chapter 12 with the call of a guy by the name of Abram and his wife Sarai. They're called from the land that they've known to follow God to a place that he will show them, a land flowing with milk and honey. He's to bring his nephew Lot and Lot's family, and together they travel. Now that invitation comes with a blessing. If you're faithful and you follow me, I will make of you a great nation. Now that expectation of great nationhood packs a lot of baggage into it. For Abram and Sarai to have heard that, they anticipate that they themselves will have children, that will have children and children and children on down the generations and on down the line. That's the 12th chapter of Genesis. Here we are in chapter 15, and God is reaffirming that hope. Abram has left looking to the future with an expectation that God will be there for him. God has been with him through challenges and struggles. God, as God says, has served as a shield and a reward for Abram. He's protected him. But here in chapter 15, he says, I'm going to reaffirm, I'm going to remake my covenant with you. So much so that he has Abram fall asleep in a dream and sacrifices a goat in that dream. And then God, in the symbol of a lit lamp, passes through the goat and so does Abram. It's a visual of the ancient form of covenant making. If we were making a promise together, Deb, we'd cut an animal in half. And then we'd walk through that and we'd say, may that happen to me if I break my covenant with you. And then you'd do the same. It puts a lot on the line. 
more than just a gentleman's agreement and a handshake. This is the vision of the covenant that God has provided for Abram. And yet he has no children. Fast forward a little bit, you get to the 17th chapter of Genesis, and there is still not a child, though instead what happens is God asks for an additional sacrifice. Circumcise yourself and your household and all who follow you. And I'm going to give you a new name. No longer will you be Abram, but you will be Abraham. No longer will your wife be Sarai, but she will be Sarah, as one who laughs at God. Because my promise is still coming to you, yet you are not there. And while these covenants have been made, challenges continue to fall on Abraham and his family. Because tucked in there, you get two chapters about the visitors and then the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah. Struggle upon struggle. And then it is only then in chapter 21 that Isaac is born. A son of their own genetic code. What a journey he'd been on. Now, for everybody in this room who balked at the question, what do you want to be when you grow up? You know, there is this certain biblical aging thing that happens in the Old Testament where the numbers are either either radically inflated or they knew something about nutrition that we didn't know. But here's what the Bible tells us in Genesis, that when Abram leaves his home country, he's 75 years old. How many of you at 75 or about to retire are ready to drop everything and go move someplace else, not because you're tired of California, but because God told you to go? And they don't have their first son, the fulfillment of the future that they were looking into and hoping for until they are 100. The book of Hebrews talks about their faithfulness in the list of the cloud of witnesses that surround us. It gives a list of all of these faithful people from the Hebrew scriptures. When it talks about Abraham and Sarah, do you know what it says? And Abraham and Sarah who trusted to God for their son, even in their old age. These two who were as good as dead, God reckoned unto them righteousness and faith. These old dead folks had, a, had an answer to the question. What do you hope to be when you grow up? A parent? Because what God seemed to have in store for us is not yet coming into place. In fact, so much so that we know that one of the painful parts of this story that I just kind of glossed over is the fact that they try with the handmaiden Hagar and the birth of Ishmael to accomplish God's future absent from God's work and plan. They say, well, the script says I've got to have a kid. It's not working here. Let me try it this way. Oftentimes in our lives, we try on different models for what God has in store for us. So in that soupiness of our scriptural heritage, that sense of longing and looking into a future and not quite seeing it there and hoping it, what does it mean for a family to be focused on the future? Well, all of our futures start with some level of what we hope for. It's a nudging. It's a dream. It's an image might even be a, an article in a magazine. You remember we used to open things to read them. Or an article on a website. Something that calls to you. It says, I'd like to try that. I'd like to do that. I'd like to be that someday. It's what I describe in my staff as seed planting. There are plenty of things that we do that aren't yet fully formed or not yet fully fruit in the life of ministry. These are just hope seeds that are planted, and we're going to see what happens to them if we give them a little water and a little bit of time and something to do. 
So what happens is, is you have this tension from what you hope for, and oftentimes what we hope for takes a small step into something we long for. Hope is something we imagine to be true. Maybe just maybe I'll be an astronaut someday or a fighter pilot. When you long for something, you go from this image of maybe into my life would be incomplete if I didn't have this thing I long for. There in our longing comes our identity and our purpose. It's who we're meant to be, what we're meant to to be about and who we're meant to be. There are things in our lives that we just do. Why? Because I can do nothing else. It's what I'm made and equipped for. We go from hope to longing. And then the next step in that trajectory is to find a way to go from longing for something to planning for it. To realize that in the execution of our lives, there are things that we can do to get the things that we hope for and long for by a pattern in our life. And we have to demonstrate that. If you're like me, and you say, I can't wait to be healthier so I eat better, you're not planning to be healthy. You hope to be healthy. You don't even long to be healthy. If you say, I'm going to eat so much more fruit and vegetables when I get healthier, while you're having your bowl of mint chocolate chip ice cream like I did yesterday, feeling sorry for myself, you hope to be healthier. When we plan and execute how it is we are going to move from where we are to where we want to be, that becomes the step, that becomes the transition where we get the chance to grow into a future. I get the chance to sit down with couples in all sorts of phases in their lives. One of the more painful ones is when couples are contemplating a divorce. And we'll sit down around the kitchen table that's in my office here, and we'll visit. And the hard part that I sometimes hear as a pastor in the lives of the people we serve is when folks will come to me and say, I don't know how we got here. I don't know how we got here. Twenty-odd years ago, we were young, we were in love, and then it just seemed like life happened. We had kids. They grew up. We had health crises. We moved. Jobs changed. Somebody was fired. Somebody was hired. Somebody completed education. All of these things just happened to us. And I don't know how we wound up here. What a painful phrase. Because for me, it's a struggle against this ideology. That families that are future-oriented, looking into the future that God has for us or that you hope and long for, requires some planning and some intentionality, some logistics, some work, some discipline to get to where you believe you are supposed to be as an individual, as a couple, as a family, as a church. But there always comes time when you have to readjust, when you have to get your bearings straight because what you'd hoped, longed, and planned for didn't come to fruit the way you expected, and you then have to reimagine in that moment, God, if you are with me in the next step, what does that look like, and what is the future I am now walking into? Some of the most desperate people we know are those whose future just gets very dark, very dim, very blurry, Because they can't see any way that God is going to step with them into what comes next. The readjustment, the twerking has been too much. 
it's been too hard. Sometimes who we are completely changes. Abram goes from Abram to Abraham. His name changes. When my kids were born, I went from being just a husband and a son to being a father. And that idea of generational shifting and our role shifting in it is how we live and move. I had the chance to talk to Rabbi Mark Blazer, another one who's praying for us from around the world. He's on his way to the Holy Land again. He's the pastor of the Reformed Synagogue here in town, Temple Bethany. Uh, and I'm so grateful for him. I got to visit with him. I, we talked about Tevye, yes, but um, uh, uh, we were talking about the fact that he is going to be, you heard the announcement for our summer dinner series, and coming to the table and people we invite to the congregation, he's our first guest speaker. Come on July 12th. He's an amazing human being. Uh, but he had just come from a naming ceremony. When I talked. He was on the road down from Castaic, and he was just, you could just tell through the phone, effervescent. So full of joy about it. And he said, I got to be a part of the naming ceremony for a baby of a couple whose naming ceremonies I was at. That's longevity. And then he joked, I guess it's time for me to retire. But that sense of generational presence to know that there are people who surround you in these pews who've been a part of this church long enough to see the kids of its kids get confirmed, graduate, go on, and answer the question, what do you want to be when you grow up? Sometimes we adjust. Sometimes we're able to live into what we hope and long for because we've been working the plan. So what does it mean for the church to be future-focused? First is our purpose informs our vision. We know our purpose, to make disciples of Jesus Christ for the transformation of the world. We are called, we are blessed to be a blessing, and we are called to be kingdom builders, not just kingdom dwellers. And that sense of purpose and who we are then informs the vision of how we accomplish that on this day and in the days to come in the future we live in together. How do we go about the business of building the kingdom of God? What does that look like, and what are we meant to do? Part of our seven things we know to be true informs that. A part of the hopes of the leadership of the church informs that. And we come into this sense that our purpose will tell us how we can live into the future that we long for. The second is that our history defines our strengths. There are things that we have been good at in our past, in the same way that in our own bodies, in our own lives, there are things from our history that define us moving forward. Well, the history of this church informs and defines our strengths our missional identity. I don't just give thanks for dads today. I give thanks to all of the spiritual fathers and mothers of this church who for the last 50 years have shouldered the load of sharing the work of Jesus Christ in this place and building its missional identity. Saying, I will not quit on God's people in the city of Valencia. No, rather, I want to be a part of being a change maker. That's our history, and it helps us to know our strength in the moment. We are here for good. Not just in a now sense, but as we look into our future to ask ourselves the question, what does that look like in the tomorrows that God has in store for us? And finally, our present neighbors shape our need and call. It would be one thing to say our history defines our strengths and we know what we're going to be and we're just going to continue to do that like a monster truck somewhere back there, rolling over everything. Rolling over the needs and the people who get in our way. No. 
The voices of the neighbors that surround us at our fingertips and in this valley just beyond the reach of this place, those people that we serve and have not yet served, help us to know our call. The hope and the longing, that need that we have that says we will not be sustained until we are doing this is not just defined by you and me who are here already, but by the need that surrounds us out there. When we are responding to the call of God in the lives of our neighbors, it serves as a chance for us to bear witness to all that God has already done and all that God will do in our future. To bring this home. It is Father's Day. I'm grateful for my own dad, grateful for his work and my story. I'm grateful for the men in this church who serve in some ways as an extension of his work, offering your wisdom and your strength and your teaching and your friendship and your partnership. And the simple truth is, is that our church will be blessed for its ability to take that hope, that energy, that life-giving, creative spirit of God and walk with it into the future that God has for us. That's who we are as a family of faith. Thanks be to God. Let's pray.